Nation. You are now listening to the Jay's Fox Podcast. Let's go. Let's go. All right, thank you everybody for joining us. You are now listening to the J-Spot Podcast. And unlike my cousin, the G-Spot, I'm much easier to find. And so I just want to say thank you to everybody that has come to this site, come to this podcast, because this is this is going to be big and, and and I know a lot of you all have asked it. For those that don't know, my name is Jeremy Flowers, aka Too Slick, and I'm a hip hop artist that uh, in 2020 told I had to stay in my house and when I was told to stay in my house, I actually learned a thing or two. So, I am working out of a new studio. We're building a new studio. This is the first episode, so there's going to be some uh bloopers to say the least, but um, hey, thank you for joining, and it is going to be fun. So what is the J-Spot podcast, and what are we going to be talking about? What is the the goal of this podcast? Well, it's going to be everything. Um, for those that don't know, I am an entertainer, and I love to give people some good old-fashioned comedy and fun. But also, this podcast is about learning something because I feel like it's not being said enough that we are in very grave times. Um, We are learning more and more every day, but for those that don't know, back in 2020, in March, I made a Facebook post predicting everything you saw in 2020. At the end of it, I also predicted everything you're seeing today. And it, it it's not fun, you know. You know the thing about what people say I'm a conspiracy theorist or whatever the government and the media want to try to label it me as. You have to understand that I was right. I was right about a lot of things. I was right about a lot. And I pretty much called everything and I will show my receipts in the upcoming episodes. And when we get video, we'll submit that. Um, for those that are probably listening to me that don't know me or do know me, if you want to follow me, I am at Too Slick. We have uh, the J Spot Instagram that I will be giving in the upcoming episodes. I don't want to. I don't want to waste a lot of your time with everything that we've got coming on. We are going to have fun on this podcast. This is a political opinion show. Um, I am not a left or a right. I am somebody that is simply telling you what is going on and what both sides are doing. And I'm hoping that at the end of all this, we are going to see something that shows us where we are headed. So let's, let's set the stage. Stage one. We are on the brink of World War III. Some might even say we are already walking into World War III. But I believe we're more than likely on the cusp of it, and that is just putting it mildly. 
this show is not to beat you into one side or the other. I don't care if you're liberal. I don't care if you're uh, Republican. I'm an independent. I voted for Obama and I voted for Trump. And so what this podcast is going to do, as far as a political opinion, is to show you all what is going on, break down the truth and facts, be open-minded, and just walk you through what we are seeing in today's world. And, and, and right now the date is November 8th, so this is our first episode. Um, we are one year into the upcoming election, and things are going to get very intense very quickly. So this is not a podcast that I want to beat you into an idea. I am just going to present it to you, and whatever you take from that is going to be on you. But I feel that this country is heading in a very deep, dark direction, and if we don't change course, if we do not correct the ship now, we are going to hit that iceberg. And so this podcast, for all purposes, is going to be fun and entertaining, but it's also going to be informative, and I'm going to bring receipts, and I'm going to check everything that I I bring to this table because I'm not here for what the communists want to say is Russian disinformation, uh, misinformation. You've heard that word probably more in the last two years, three years, four years than you've ever heard in your entire life, and I'm going to explain it all why. But to do that, to do that, these first few episodes have to walk you in to how we got here. Um, it did not come overnight. There are ties to everything you are seeing today that I'm going to link you with in the past. To do that, I have to walk you down memory lane. I have to literally take your hand and stroll you down memory lane to what we are seeing today because we can't just talk about what's going on this can't be a new uh platform to where we just start in the fourth quarter this has to be a story to set you up to understand what we're going to face going forward and to do that we're going to take a little trip down to memory lane and it's going to start on a very dark day in this country remember everybody going to work Remember everybody that, you know, had loved ones that they wanted to see the next morning, see that day, see that night, everything changed. American Airlines emergency line, please state your emergency. Mr. Cockpit's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Something, somebody hit uh, the World Trade Center or the... It's a trade center. The World trade trade center. center. There's a fire on the upper floors. This, Justin, you are looking at, a, obviously, a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning. That a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. We don't know if it was a commercial aircraft. We have no idea how many were on board or what is what the extent of the injuries are right now. Jules, this is Ryan. Uh, listen, on an airplane, that's been hijacked. And things don't go well. It's not looking good. 
was fortunate. I would absolutely love you. I want you to do good. So have a good time. And I just totally love you. And uh, I'll see you later. Bye, babe. Bye, boy. Oh my god. Oh my god. That looks like a second plane. Right oh, now. there's another one. Another plane just hit. Right? Oh my god. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Flew right into the middle of it. Oh. oh my goodness, there's another this one. It seems to be on purpose. Oh my goodness, now you. Plane? Now it's obvious, I think. I leaned over and whispered into his right ear a second plane hit the second tower. America is under attack. Uh, today, we've had a national tragedy. Uh, two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We're looking at a uh, live picture from Washington, and there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. It would appear that there has been another major explosion, this one in the nation's capital. There is smoke in the air over the Pentagon. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. You can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents, and you can see the two towers. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. getting reports that a part of the tower, the second tower, the one a, a bit further to the south of us, uh, has collapsed. We are checking on that. United 93, that traffic three is 1 o'clock, 12 miles eastbound, 370. Negative contact, we're looking at United 93. When I took the call over, there was a soft-spoken, calm gentleman. I asked him his name. He told me, Todd Beamer. He said, Lisa, would you recite the Lord's Prayer with me? He said, okay, let's roll. We've got a report from a guy at 24 of a cloud of black smoke off his line. We're like 1097. But we don't have confirmation. United Airlines flight number 93 left Newark at 8.01 this morning on en route to San Francisco. It went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The North Tower, the North Tower. I hope I live. I hope I live. It's coming down on me. And there, as you can see, perhaps the second tower, the front tower, the top portion of which is collapsing. Good Lord. Both trade towers where thousands of people work on this day, Tuesday, have now been attacked and destroyed. There is simply no way to accurately describe the emotion this evokes.
workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! September 11 will go down in our history as a day to remember. None of us will ever forget the pictures of our courageous firefighters and police, many of whom have lost friends and colleagues, or the hundreds of people attending or standing patiently in line to donate blood. A tragedy like this could have torn our country apart, but instead, it has united us. This event can give a message of hope, hope for the present and hope for the future. The cross tells us that God understands our sin and our suffering. And from the cross, God declares, I love you. The story does not end with the cross. For Easter points us beyond the tragedy of the cross to the empty tomb. It tells us that there is hope for eternal life, for Christ has conquered evil and death and hell. My prayer today is that we will feel the loving arms of God wrapped around us and will know in our hearts that he will never forsake us as we trust in him. And this is going to be a day that we will remember as a day of victory. May God bless you all. Saddam Hussein and his sons must leave Iraq within 48 hours. These are Arabs who are going to welcome us as liberators, liberators, liberators. Who will govern Iraq when Saddam Hussein is removed? The U.S. invasion of Iraq was supposed to be easy. The most powerful military in world history would go in, kill the bad guys, and transform Iraq into a democratic, pro-American oasis. But the Iraq war blew up in America's face. Stuff happens. And it changed both countries. It changed the entire Middle East. In fact, it changed much of our world forever. A million Iraqis are dead because you lied! You lied! You lied! Should we start? Within weeks of the September 11th attacks, the United States had occupied Afghanistan, where Al-Qaeda was based at the time, and removed the ruling Taliban from power. But very quickly after, the George W. Bush administration began selling another war. It wanted to invade Iraq. There was no link between 9-11 and Iraq, so the Bush administration began manufacturing justifications. Iraq was in league with Al-Qaeda. There are Al-Qaeda in a number of locations in Iraq. Iraqis needed saving from their dictator. Saddam Hussein's 
violations of human rights. Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. We don't want the smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud. But those weapons of mass destruction were never found. Millions of people knew invading Iraq was wrong. 20 years on, they've been proven right time and time again. The invasion of Iraq resulted in death, destruction, and massive blowback. And it gave us these guys. There's something President George W. Bush said in 2007, four years into the invasion of Iraq, that ironically sums up how badly the U.S. messed up. And there's another part of this clip that we'll be coming back to a little later, so pay attention here. Imagine an Iraq where Al-Qaeda has established sanctuaries to safely plot future attacks on targets all over the world. It's ironic because by the time Bush said this, Al-Qaeda had established itself in Iraq, even though the group wasn't there before the U.S. invaded. As one of the justifications for war, Bush and his officials insisted to an American public still reeling from 9-11 that Al-Qaeda and Iraq were linked. The reason I keep insisting that uh, there was a relationship between Iraq and Saddam and Al-Qaeda because there was a relationship between Iraq and Al-Qaeda. Like pretty much all of the Bush administration's justifications for this war, this was a lie. Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein and Al-Qaeda's Osama bin Laden were both Arab men who were once allies of the United States. But they didn't have much else in common. In fact, Al-Qaeda showed up in Iraq only after the U.S. invaded the country, dismantled the Iraqi army and security forces, and created a security vacuum that allowed all sorts of foreign fighters and violent groups to enter. Tapping into anger at the U.S. for invading a Muslim country, as well as the disgust at scandals like the torture at Abu Ghraib, Al-Qaeda was able to recruit and grow into something even more menacing. The invasion of Iraq propelled the group from a small, isolated organization into a genuinely global network that eventually became the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or Iraq and the Levant, as President Obama would say. ISIL is a direct outgrowth of al-Qaeda in Iraq mm -hmm. that grew out of our invasion, which is an example of unintended consequences. Those unintended consequences included al-Qaeda sparking a sectarian civil war in Iraq by bombing some of the holiest sites in Shia Islam. They included hundreds of suicide and car bombings that killed thousands of Iraqis, and they included ISIS at one point controlling not just 40% of Iraq, but about a third of neighboring Syria as well. During the mid-2010s, the group was constantly in the headlines as it killed thousands and thousands of people, not just in Iraq and Syria, but also in Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bangladesh, Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, France, Turkey, Belgium, Indonesia, Russia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Jordan, Germany, Somalia, the UK, Iran, the Philippines, Spain, Algeria, the United States, Nigeria, Sri Lanka. ISIS is no longer as powerful as it was, but it took years of a major US-led military operation that cost thousands more civilian lives all to solve a problem created by the exact things it said it was invading Iraq to prevent. One of its- All right, so let's cut it right there. So we've walked now through 9-11, one of the worst tragedies that ever hit America, one of the worst days in American history. And then somehow the Bush franchise, which we will get into, has now said, well, while we're at it, 
not that Iraq did anything, but while we're at it, since we're invading countries and breaking borders and just shitting over everything, why don't we do this? This guy named Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. Now that now what what is going to be very important, and I need you to understand this in the upcoming um dialogue and everything else. If you say a lot, communists and socialist Marxists, they all love the lie, and they have to beat it into your brain at all costs. They have to make you believe it. And if you say it enough, then you actually will believe it, or some will. But it creates the narrative. Now, what is the narrative? The narrative, for everybody that doesn't know, is what the media, uh, Project Mockingbird, and the CIA, and everybody feeds into. Everybody, you know, when you talk to people on the left, they always love to say Fox News. They, they're like fake news, you know, they call it everything. Conservatives actually really only have one outlet, one major media outlet. If you look at the other side of it, you have ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC. They far outweigh the narrative. And when you get into cable, then you look at one other thing that's kind of important is, well, what are the main channels that you're allowed to see on a, a free network, maybe the bunny ears, whatever you're using, streaming, what sling, what all that. You're allowed to see the major network. So what's important in communism, Marxism, socialism is that you ha you can never, and this is going to be very important going forward, you can never, ever, 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 ever deter from the message. The message only works if it's consistent. So what you're hearing now is the weapons of mass destruction, which they knew were none. They knew Saddam Hussein did not have those. A weapon of mass destruction. Well, what is a weapon of mass destruction today? Is it fentanyl? Uh, is it an EMP? What is a weapon of mass destruction? See, terminology in socialism, Marxism, communism all plays one vital role. It has to be manipulated. Language is manipulated. Hitler did it best. You change the language, you change the ideology, and then you change the thought process. So we have now weapons of mass destruction with Saddam Hussein. We don't know where we don't know where Osama bin Laden is, but we do know. We know for a fact that Saddam Hussein, who was George Bush Sr.'s Arch enemy, if you wrote a comic book, a movie, anything like that, that would be the Joker to Batman. So you now have an enemy, and you have a target. Now, the, the to get from point A to point B to point C, you have to keep the narrative alive, which is Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. So this lie goes on to where it costs us uh, thousands of soldiers, um, innocent lives. We finally find Saddam Hussein in a hole in the ground. 
So what do we do? We eliminate them. Now, what does that do? Well, it obviously creates a vacuum. It creates a vacuum for what? Well, now there's no leader in the Middle East. Now, whatever you may say about Saddam Hussein, he was a leader, and he he controlled a lot of the evil that was going on in the Middle East. But it was under control. At least then you know who you're fighting against. If everybody goes into a dark cave, you don't know who the enemy is. So we dis- we destabilize the Middle East. Thousands of soldiers die. Innocent civilians die. And what did we do? We created the very regime that is going to hate us later. Much later. Actually, today. And how did we get there? Well, we got there by a lie. It was a lie. So now we have destabilized the Middle East. We've sent thousands of our innocent um, women and uh, men to war to die for a cause that was based off of a lie. We go now looking for weapons of mass destruction, which was more the uh, establishment saying, and the CIA and all these uh, federal entities saying, we have to do this. Um, a lot of people say it was about oil. It was. I, I don't believe it was about oil. So here it is. So now, while all this is going on, if all this isn't bad enough, we now have a housing crisis. We have higher oil prices. Everything is just out of whack. So Bush is tanking. He is tanking at this point. So it's coming up, for those who don't remember, Bush stole the election from Kerry. Remember that? that that'll that come to play in later. I just wanted to state that for the record. So Kerry had an election stolen from him. We'll get much deeper into that here soon. So you have Bush now tanking at every helm. And the Democrat Party, the establishment, which is not the Democrat Party or um, the Republican Party, You have to understand the establishment is a group. And so while we went from Bush, who the establishment loved and was pretty much built off of, which we will get later into in other episodes, now you have George Bush come. He's done his part. Bush was not going to be... What was Bush ever going to do? Was he going to... Uh, remember Eminem, White America, the song, and how Eminem was fighting against Bush? Bush was never a man of the people, which now you see today, everybody loves him. The Democrats love him. Cheney, who was a war criminal, based off MSNBC, CNN, and all these others, they hated Bush. They He was the most despised man on the planet. And so what you have now is Bush tanking Towards the end. This is very important. Bush comes in. 9-11. He's loved. Re-election. Not so much. Stole the re-election. This is very important. And I and I can't beat it in enough. Watch the process. He comes in at a bad time. Unifies the country. Everything goes to shit. And then he comes back. He's now a war criminal and everything. Now it's the end of Bush's presidency. Well, what does the establishment do? Now, you may have thought that in 2016, or I'm sorry, I'm jumping way ahead. 
2008, you had an election. You probably thought that. And you would be right to think that. You would be. You would be right to think that. The problem is, is it's not, a, up until this point, they're not elections. They are the passing of the torch. Who is easier to convince is the next president? Out of nowhere. Nowhere. Some Harvard Law graduate, which now we know everything about Harvard, don't we? And out of nowhere, and you got to remember, I hate Bush, so I'm on this cycle to come in and why I voted for Obama. There was somebody that came in and said, we need a change. And I remember going and casting my ballot. And what was his name? Cannot remember for the life of Barack Obama stood before a sea of thousands as the first African-American elected to the country's highest office. Because of what we did on this day, in this election, at this defining moment, change has come to America. The twin themes of change and hope propelled the 47-year-old first-term senator through the longest, most expensive presidential campaign ever. An early win in Iowa gave way to a months-long slugfest with Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination. The battle dust didn't settle until the party's convention. Barack Obama is our candidate, and he will be our president. With veteran Senator Joe Biden as his choice for vice president, Mr. Obama addressed a packed stadium in Denver and 38 million watching at home. With profound gratitude and great humility, I accept your nomination for presidency of the United States. From Berlin, Germany to Portland, Oregon, Mr. Obama drew hundreds of thousands to his rallies. He promised to expand health care and pull U.S. troops out of Iraq, but the economy dominated his race against Republican John McCain. You've got to have somebody in Washington who's thinking about the middle class. Capitalizing on Americans' disapproval of President Bush and with strong support from young and minority voters, Mr. Obama clinched the presidency in an electoral college landslide. This is your victory. Modeling his cabinet after President Lincoln's, Mr. Obama embraced former rivals, chief among them Hillary Clinton for Secretary of State. President Bush welcomed his successor to the White House, where huge challenges await him. Barack Obama must now steer the country through two wars and the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. Joel Brown, CBS News, so, Washington. Here he is, the savior of change the black community, he is the savior of America. Do you, you get that part? Now, remind you, lies have to be told. This Every episode I give you in my podcast will ultimately collect a certain theme and end. And so, everything I'm telling you, you have to keep in the mind, it has to be repeated. It has to be repeated. So, a man by the name of Barack Obama comes into the fold and you thought you were seeing an election. So, I thought the same thing. I voted for him. So now, here we are. Barack Obama, the great and powerful Barack Obama, comes president. And here's where it all starts to fall apart. 
Obamacare, right? You know nothing about Obama other than Obamacare. If you ask nine out of ten people what is Obama known for, they are going to tell you the same thing, Obamacare. Many of them have it, some got it, some love it, whatever. It was built off an illegal action, and it was a complete lie from the very get-go, and it only punished the lower income. And what I mean by lower income was the middle class. Because if you didn't have it, and you were supposed to keep your doctor, you didn't get it, and you were penalized. Like me. See, I didn't know what he meant by change. I thought we were going to see something much different. I'll explain that later. But what I thought he was talking about when he said change was a change to the Bush-Cheney-Clinton's administration. Even though he he beat Hillary and she endorsed him and everything, I thought, eh, this guy could probably be different. He was not different. Not even a, not even a long shot. Barack Obama was the Trojan horse. And and I can't put it any better than that. He was the Trojan horse for socialism. Actually, going a little deeper, he was the Trojan horse for communism as well. We will get into Barack Obama's past and everything and his presidential record at a later time. But what I need to tell you now is that Barack Obama was absolutely a Trojan horse. And he was a Trojan horse because he was implanted by the establishment and other people. Now, all that aside, we can talk about a lot of things. We can talk about his involvement with the transgender community when he used to be against gay marriage. We can talk about the transgender bathrooms. We can talk about his handling with the cartels, the smuggle drugs, and uh, not drugs, excuse me, misspoke, not drugs. That That's going on today. Um, the guns that were caught that were being brought in by this administration. We can talk about a lot. But again, the focus of this coming podcast episode is to remind you that you cannot ever Steer away from the lie. And what is the lie? The lie is that Obama was the best president ever. He just had some bad reviews. He had some bad thing. He had some things go wrong. It just it wasn't his fault. Now, we also at the same time talking about Barack Obama have to keep in mind who his VP is because he plays a very big role in the upcoming episodes which we'll deal with in the current episodes. Barack Obama chose Joe Biden for a lot of reasons. But they were both chosen. They were selected, not elected. And so this comes into play very, very big later. But for now, let's keep it simple, stupid. Barack Obama in his second run as president against Mitt Romney, who was an who was an idiot on in on his own. He's just an idiot on his own. But you know, 
let's go about Mitt Romney for a second, just to show we are not biased. Um, Mitt Romney pledged and and touted when he ran against Obama that he had statewide health care for his citizens. That is true. What is not put in that same picture is the fact that you can do that when you have a state income that was as high grossing as the state he was in. And so when you sit there and you say, well, I can have health care for all my citizens in my state, well, how that that model doesn't project well everywhere. It has to be state by states because when you do it as a national ban, then you get problems because some people don't work in some states like they do in others. Some income is different than others because they have to work two or three jobs. Everything is different state by state. So you can't take one and apply it to all. But Obama thought he could. Obama, he tried. And it blew up in his face. And by the second run, even though he ran against dumbass Mitt Romney, if you see his vote count, he would have lost to Trump in the first election. People despised Obama towards him. People like me who put our faith in him at the beginning. And if you watch, um, I'll give a plug to Nancy Pelosi's daughter, um, The Insurrectionist Next Door. It's a good documentary. But it shows how people that were involved in that were also previous Obama supporters. We... You know, the thing is, the left loves to call the Trump supporter a cult, but that's not really what's going on here. And I'm, and that's what the explanation is right now. So remember in this episode now, we have now gotten to where you have to keep repeating the lie. You have to keep repeating the lie. It does not matter what the people say. It does not matter what the polls show. It does not matter what the facts are. You have to keep repeating the lie. Any, any change in that sale, it, 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 the whole house of cards knocked down. And so for that, let's go to the round table. When Obama was in his sixth year and it was hurting him, the, he, it's, nothing has worked out. The black vote is, is going against him. He's not saving the people of Chicago. Things are, this is year six. This is bad. So things are bad. Let's, and what are they saying here? Let's, let's listen in for just a second. And we're back now with our roundtable. Joining us, ABC News contributor and Democratic strategist Donna Brazil, former House Speaker and CNN Crossfire co-host Newt Gingrich, Yahoo News national political com columnist Matt Bai, and ABC News political analyst Matthew Dowd. Welcome to all of you. And let's start with immigration. Donna, you heard... What Rick Perry said about this, he said it's all about border security and what the president has done is basically too little, too late. Well, what the president has done is, of course, uh, doubled the uh, number of troops or boots on the ground in terms of border security. Uh, they've tripled the amount of money used for the enforcement. 
But what is happening is a regional crisis, uh, young people fleeing violence, uh, abuse uh, from, you know, Honduras, El Salvador, Has that not been Guatemala. going on for years and years Well, and it's years increased. We had 6,500 kids probably about three years ago. Today is close to 65, 70,000. It's growing. This is a crisis, a humanitarian crisis, and we have to resolve it. We cannot resolve it simply. And it's not just a crisis in the United States. It's also a crisis in Mexico, Panama, Costa Costa Rica, these kids are fleeing violence and they're looking for safety. Speaker Gingrich, do you think the law should be changed, that sure. 2008 law? And, and there are some reports that President Obama would like that law changed, too, so they can't clearly, send them back. I doubt very much if Senator Dianne Feinstein, who authored that particular amendment to the bill that passed in uh, 2008, meant for it to potentially next year have 140,000 people cross illegally crossing the border under the law. Uh, the Gallup World Poll last year asked the question, is there a country you'd like to move to? 165 million people said yes, the United States. Now, we've got to confront the reality. Yes, there are a lot of deep personal stories. There are a lot of very attractive people. You really think we're going to absorb 165 million people? Sudanese, violence. Iraq, violence. Syria, violence, much of West Africa, violence, Nigeria, violence. I mean, there's got to be some rule of law that says we get to defend our own country and we get to control our border. What, what, what about the, the border that they want to build up that you heard Rick Perry say, the, the head of the border security, is just wrong? We need far more to, to guard the border. That really doesn't solve this immediate crisis? No, I mean, there's two huge aspects here. One is obviously humanitarian crisis that we're in now, right now, with mainly women and children come over. I often think of the idea, like, if there were stowaways on the Titanic, you don't ask for their ticket when you're putting the women and children on the lifeboats. You put them on the lifeboats, you save them, you deal with the problem, and then when they get to port, you figure out what do we do with the situation when they bought a, they bought a ticket or they came here illegally solve the crisis, but this is actually an environment that's created because we haven't done anything about immigration reform. Mm -hmm. We haven't done, we haven't secured the borders in any real way, and we haven't done a reform that deals with the people that are in this country. So when you have is an environment that's been, that's created, this thing happens. Matt Bai, is that what has to happen? You have to get immigration reform before this can be solved? And, and, and solving this right now, letting them in, does that not send the message to others to come on up? Well, you, you do need to solve it, and you can. There's a ton of common ground on this, as everybody knows. I mean, the solutions aren't that hard to figure. As Speaker Gingrich knows better than I do, you know, the, the compromise happens politically when the cost of inaction with the broad electorate outweighs the risk of doing something that might really anger the most motivated people in your base. This Congress has a 9% approval rating. Last I checked, it basically means their spouses don't think, their mothers don't think they're doing a good job, right? And, and speak, this no is a good, this is a good. So something structurally wrong. I don't think we're going to get it. Speaking of polls and speaking of approval rates, there was a poll out this week that generated a whole lot of attention. When asked who was the worst president since World War II, 33% said Obama, 28% said Bush, and Nixon came in with 13%. Donna, you want to start on that one? Well, look, uh, this president is in the moment. Uh, in the moment, six years, uh, normally that's when the itch starts, the itch to find a new president. And I also believe that when you look at the poll and how it was conducted, not that I like to talk about the internal process of taking a poll, there's no question that the Democrats uh, concentrated all of their efforts on one or two, and the Republicans said, 
Yes, we dislike Obama. You know what? If I was the president, I would ignore that poll and every other poll between now and the day he leaves office and focus on delivering what he promised to the American people. Matt, you wrote this week that it's met by that it's Obama's presidency, but he's still governing, governing in Bush's world. Yeah, I mean, I th uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people don't like to hear it. I mean, it doesn't mean—I think he could have done a better job of working his way out of a lot of this, and there are a whole host of reasons we're in this situation. But if you look at how his term has been defined, aside from health care, virtually all of it defined by issues and conundrums that he inherited. I don't think that's—what that, I'm, I'm not saying is that's because Bush made such a mess and Obama can't work his way out of it. What I'm saying is I think we have deep— transformative, transitional problems in the society that are not going to be very solved quickly, Matt quickly it, by one set of policies. It does say how dramatically the view of the public has changed on the president when he was elected and he took the office when it was he was going to be the one. He, was, he got the Nobel Peace Prize, and now he's viewed as one of the worst presidents. I think it's all temporary. The only thing consistent about that poll is that Jimmy Carter and Richard Nixon are always on it. <laughs> Speaker Gingrich, very quickly to you. Uh, well, I, I want to agree with Matt Bye. We are in deep structural problems, whether it's the Veterans Administration, the Middle East, the border, uh, and neither party has figured out a way to start uh, offering really deep solutions. And shallow solutions just don't work. They break down in front of you, and the country and all sees problems, the breakdown. all problems that'll take a long time to solve. The roundtable is just getting started. We're back in less than a minute with that big Supreme Court case that could affect millions of women. That debate is next. Holy. Shit. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. What the hell did we just listen to? What the hell did we just listen to, ladies and gentlemen? What you heard is from years ago. And it sounds almost like what you're hearing today. Isn't it? Isn't it? Now, Obama built the cages that Trump got blamed for, but did how, how this is the lie? See, so here we go. Now, just the place because I know my liberal friends on the left they hate facts, but let me give you some. Obama deported more people than Trump, Bush, anybody, Clintons, anybody. Clintons wanted a wall. <laughs> they at least had something in common with Trump. But what you have to understand. What you heard in that segment <clears throat> is the lie that has been perpetrated for years. Obama deported everybody. He said you should not come here illegally. Now, remind you, you have to put this in context. This was years ago. It is 2003. This had to be 2014. This is in 2014, almost 10 years ago. It seems like yesterday, but it really, it it, it, it kind of was, but it isn't. But we are still in the same cycle. And when they talk about immigration, they always go back to the reform. Well, we don't want them to come in unless we reform. But the lie, again, I, I, the, the point of this episode is the lie. It has to be repeated. It has to be repeated. And so what you're hearing now and what is going on is you are watching the lie that they have been building. Now, you heard at the end of that clip, well, at least Jimmy Carter and Nixon will be on that list. They make a joke of it. They make a joke of it. 
Who cares if he's a bad president? He should, he's not the worst. And who cares if kids are in cages? We want reform, but it's the Republicans' fault. The lie that has to be continued at all times, even as Obama's numbers tanked in the end. And we've watched Russia invade uh, uh, Ukraine and take over Crimea. Even though we know now that Joe Biden was over there making money. With all this, you've got to put yourself in that moment. This is 10 years ago, and now what we know is all been a lie. We knew this. The money to Iran, he's already, I think at this point, he's already given the billions, the billions to Iran. Nine billion, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure it was eight or nine. He's given it to him. What you're seeing in Jerusalem today is the exact same thing. Or Israel. They're, you know. And so the lie has to continue. It can never be changed. Once you commit, it has to be all or nothing. Because the minute you change, the house of cards falls. Even though Obama was against gay marriage, and now is the leader for the LGBTQT plus uh, LMNOP um, community. Um, you have to understand this is where it all is stemming from. The lie has to continue. But they're not worried about the lie. The lie is not important because they know who the next president is going to be. It's Hillary, the Secretary of State. The Benghazi lover, the one that smashed her hard drives with a hammer, cell phones, the one that deleted 30,000 emails. And what we know about Hillary today and later come the, in the next episode is that she's just as bad as we thought she was. She's even worse. But the lie has to continue. Do you understand? At this point, the lie has to continue. So Obama's... He's hurting. At this point, he's hurting. But he's not hurting too, too bad. Now, here's what is awesome about the left. They, their overconfidence, their, their smugness, they think they are superior to everybody. You have to understand that part, too. They, the left thinks they are above everybody. That they can tell you that it's rain, that if it's raining outside, it's sunny, you're okay. It, it just believe it. You have to believe it. And the one thing that they really, I don't think, really understood was a man named Donald Trump. Now, you have to remember. We'll go into Hillary and Trump's past and how they were friends before. But what I need you to understand now is that Hillary is going to be given the, the torch, right? We've been talking about since 9-11, the Bush to Obama. So now it is Hillary. The, they're already ready. Obama, right? He took over a bad situation. He was the greatest his first four years. 
Now as he's walking out the door, somebody's got to revive the country. Somebody's got to make everything better. So, there was a woman, and she was going to run, and she was going to be the next president. But one man, one man, he poked around about it for a long time. Poked around for a long time. And then he announces, Donald J. Trump announces, and he creates this wave. And at first, I, I could play the clips of him coming in and announcing, and that's all done. I don't need to hear all that. But you have to understand, Donald Trump comes in. Now, Hillary probably doesn't really think much about it. Obama damn sure didn't. And Biden, I mean, you got to understand, these people have been in power for eight years and plus, so they're not really worried. Because why would you worry? So now we get to the point where Trump announces the golden escalator. He comes in, he says, we need to make the America brand. Now, I do need to state, he said the America brand. That will come into play much later in another episode. But I am here to tell you, he said that for a reason. So. The America brand needs to be rebuilt. So, they all laugh at him. It's funny. You know what? It's so funny because Donald Trump could never be president, right? A man that the government came to and needed advice from when the housing market crashed, when uh, Obama created the Tea Party because everybody stood up against them after his uh, re-election and the Tea Party movement was created and censorship finally, socialism finally kicked in the high gear because we got to get rid of that. Black Lives Matter was created to help him with the black vote. Watch. <clears throat> now there's this orange guy that everybody makes fun of even though they loved him five months earlier. But there was some... It, we just gotta let's just play it again. Let's just let's just go there and and hear. There's not gonna be a President Donald Trump. <laughs> um, that's not gonna happen. He is not Donald Trump is not going to be President of the United States. Take it to the bank. Okay. I guarantee it. All right. All right. I think if he becomes the president here, make make it great because the states is already. Great. I think that man will be president of the United States right about the time that spaceships come down filled with dinosaurs and red capes. On that note, Tom. <laughs> Pleasure. Take it Thank from you me. How about that? Yes, and then, of course, there's Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been saying that he will run for president as a Republican, which is surprising since I just assumed he was running as a joke. Donald Trump just last week he confirmed to the National Review that he is again considering a run in 2016. Do it. <laughs> do, do it. Look, look at me. Do it. I will personally write you a campaign check now on behalf of this country which does not want you to be president but which badly wants you to run. So when you stand and deliver that State of the Union address in no part of your mind or brain can you imagine Donald Trump standing up one day and delivering a State of the Union address? Well, I can imagine it uh, in a Saturday night skit. 
I continue to believe Mr. Trump will not be president. He will never be president of the United States. And uh, we better be ready for the fact that he might be leading the Republican ticket next. <laughs> I know you don't believe that, but I want to go on. <laughs> Sorry right, to laugh. Next. Okay, here we are. And which Republican candidate <clears throat> has the best chance of winning the general election? Of the declared ones right now, Donald Trump. And so, right now, Mr. Trump, to answer your call for political honesty, I just want to say, you're not going to be president, all right? It's been fun. It's been great. I love you. But, but, but come on, come on, buddy. All, let's say, cow poo-poo aside, there is zero chance we'll be seeing you being sworn in on the Capitol steps with your hand on a giant golden Bible. I'll make a prediction, though, for you. And I, I don't really get into predictions much, but this one I'll go way out on a limb. Donald Trump will never, ever be president okay. of the United States. That Trump should not be in this race. He's an absurdity. He is a travesty. Donald Trump will never be elected president of the United States. Donald Trump is a here-today-gone-tomorrow candidate for president of the United States. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Uh, ever respectful of the fact that the people have not voted, he's not going to be president of the United States. Let's be clear. Donald Trump will lose the election. I mean, he had a really good chance to be different and really have a chance to change things, but yeah. he, he doesn't do the work. He's lazy. We talk about him every day, and we continuously He's bash him. He's not going to be the president. He... Don't worry about it. <laughs> exactly. And we're coming to a point where, if you're Hillary Clinton, you're honestly probably starting to think about not just whether you will win, but how big your win will be. And then you say that Donald Trump has the best day in the entire world, completely outperforms expectations, and he wins all of the toss-up states. He wins all five of those states, plus that Electoral College vote in Maine that he's after. If he wins all of the toss-ups, which would be insane because nobody wins all of the toss-up states, even if Donald Trump did win all of the toss-up states, he would still lose. It's a wake-up call to the Republican Party. Uh, despite Boris thinking that Donald Trump could win New York, like this, the, the presidential race is over. It just, just, could I just cut through? I have one thing to say, one thing only. And that is that this race is over. Tomorrow morning, the money will dry up. The Republicans will start to hide. Trump has no place to go. This race, effectively, as of tonight, is no longer a presidential race. I, will I mean, everything I know about presidential politics, and I've been through five of them, I've never seen one like this. This race is over. You might as well accept it. And the question now is, how do you minimize damage? And the only way you can do that, it seems to me, is to try to grab hold of some old conservative value things and do what Mondale did in 84, which is try to save a few people down ballot. But as far as Donald Trump's concerned, it will never, ever, ever happen. So, there you have it. There you have it. You can, you can never steer away from the lie. That is episode one. If I can give you anything in this first episode, I needed you, I needed to walk you through a set of lies. And my country twang may make me sound idiotic, but what I have now just shown you is three examples of you can never deter from the lie. Episode one. 
the lie. We are learning now things that what I've shown you in the last hour now going in. What a lie looks like, how it is uh, repeated, how it is built in. Now everybody's going to come at me and say, well, Trump lies and Trump lies. I will get to him later. But I needed to establish what this first episode is. This is the lie. So, Trump now has, uh, he's announced he's going to be president. He's come out. Everybody's making jokes. And as I end this first episode, I'm going to end it on a clip. And I need you all, <laughs> this clip, what's amazing in, in all of this, in all of this lie that we've seen, what is so amazing, is how an actual liberal like Michael Moore, who wrote Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 9-11, a documentary talking about how a Bush handled 9-11 and all of that. A man that was against Bush, but now would love Bush if it was today. Which, actually, I have a clip that actually proves Michael Moore is full of shit. But, the lie has to continue. And so, tonight, as my first episode, I want to prove to you how a piece of shit like Michael Moore, that hated Bush, has now completely turned his ass up and taken it from the Democrat Party to now be against Trump for the very shit that he blew up against Bush, even though now all of them are all friends. Hillary loves Bush. They love uh, uh, Liz Cheney. Remember, Dick Cheney was a war criminal until they needed him, and then Trump, whoa, whoa, whoa. The lie, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight's episode was brought to you by I Don't Give a Shit, and it sells everywhere. So I am leaving you with this clip. <laughs> What's ironic about this clip in the first episode, it is called Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit, oh God, I can't say that, Fahrenheit 11.9, and he did the documentary Fahrenheit 9.11. I got it right that time. And what I've actually shown you has actually flipped the exact point I was trying to make. Thank you all for joining me tonight. God bless. We have a lot more to go. Episode 2 will be out very soon, if not immediately. And we are going to tie all this in together. Episode 2 is going to be about the Trump election, baby, and the rise of the Russian agent. Oh, oh, I'm I'm sorry. I mean, I, I'm sorry. We'll get. We'll explain that. We'll explain that. Michael Moore, can you please lead us tonight? Thank you. I appreciate it. God bless. And you are listening to the J Spot. Was it all 
just a dream? It was the night before the election, 2016. Everything seemed to be going as planned. Amateurs and experts alike had already called the election months ago. There's not going to be a President Donald Trump. Um, that's not going to happen. Donald Trump is not going to be President of the United States. Donald Trump will never be elected President of the United States. He's not going to be President. Is there a path to victory for Donald Trump at this point? No. Do you still think she has a 100% chance of winning the election? Mm. I do. I'm not sure the Republican Party is going to survive. I would like to introduce to you the next president of the United States, Mr. Hillary Clinton. Thank you all, and thanks to Jay-Z and Beyonce. And thanks to Chance the Rapper and J. Cole and Big Sean. She had no idea who any of these rappers were, but it didn't matter. The big day is finally here, and it's time to vote. A giddy nation awoke that morning to the news in the New York Times that Trump had only a 15% chance of winning. You know, growing up as a little girl, I never thought I could be president. It's becoming very real. Congrats, Hillary, our first woman president. Ooh, Hillary, all the way, all the way to the White House. I waited over an hour to vote, I'm so happy. In Rochester, New York, thousands put I voted stickers on the grave of suffragist Susan B. Anthony. This is the most important election that I have ever voted in. I got to vote for a woman for president. <laughs> Once the polls closed, before the votes were even counted, the champagne corks were popping at Hillary's victory party in New York City. This has a literal glass ceiling, a glass ceiling they're hoping to symbolically burst through tonight. Let's be one nation indivisible with a kick-ass president. Meanwhile, just 17 blocks away. It's a decidedly small venue, perhaps the smallest one I've ever seen for an event like this. Things were looking bad for the other candidate. The crowd was glum. GOP officials now fear that if Donald Trump loses by a landslide, he could take down the congressional majorities with him. Fox News seemed relieved that they wouldn't have to support this man for the next four years. I think Hillary's going to win. The betting odds on the presidential race are three to one in favor of Secretary Clinton. Look at all these wins we're projecting for Hillary Clinton right now. She wins New Jersey with 14 electoral votes. Mrs. Clinton is also performing strongly on the East Coast. Massachusetts, Maryland. And Illinois with 20 electoral votes. Hillary Clinton projected the winner. No huge surprises thus far. Then something strange began to happen. Big news for the first time tonight, really big news in the presidential race. We can project that Donald Trump will win the state of Ohio. 
Donald Trump will carry the state of North Carolina. And that is huge for Donald Trump. This is exactly what he needed to do. Donald Trump will carry the state of Florida. State of Wisconsin. He will win Wisconsin. Trump doing very well in Pennsylvania right now. The cliffhanger going on here in Michigan. 56% of the vote is in. Look at how close it is. Right now, Donald Trump is ahead. It's completely flipped now. To make matters worse, Fox News was using my name. Michael Moore, who knows white working class voters, has made movies about them, grew up in Michigan, had been saying all along to the Democrats, dismiss him at your own peril. And he said, I'm warning you, I know the people who live in my state, and I know how they think, and I know what their concerns are. Everybody should uh, head home. You should get some sleep. We're not going to have anything more to say tonight. This is a Fox News election alert. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. It looked like a perp walk. He had written no victory speech. Never did a group of people look as sad to win the presidency as this crowd. At 2.29 a.m. on 11-9-16, our new leader's image was projected onto the Empire State Building. How the fuck did this happen?